you so much for joining us this week at Zion City Church with teachings from Pastor Andrew Rael. We believe that God still speaks through His Word and His people. So right now, lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and brings you into a deeper love and worship of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Zion City Church. somebody up now to share with us on how they've experienced uh, this pillar of power in our churches so far. So please welcome John Reagan on up to the stage. Good morning, family. It is, uh, it is good to see you all today. Uh, so power for me, uh, I was really happy that I was given the opportunity to speak on this. Uh, I think that being filled with power from God is a huge blessing, um, but it's something that is not, uh, it's, what is, how do you say, um, it's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the worship team or the leadership. It's for every single person who believes in Jesus. And something special about that power that I've experienced was whether I got a speeding ticket on the way to church, you know, or I'm upset with a family member, or I got stuff going on at home, or I'm sad, whatever it may be, I know that God has promised and has worked through me to bring power. And um, a few things I've experienced that are just here at Zion, um, either speaking into someone's life, and I had no idea what was going on in their life, but it met them exactly where they needed, or just having someone speak to me in an area of life where I was at, and I ha they had no idea what I was going through, but then they said something at the right time. And that's just a glimpse of the power of God and what he wants to do. Um, and that's what I've experienced here at Zion. And the thing about power, again, is that it's for everyone. And so, um, yes, thank you. Amen. Yep. Thanks, John. All righty. I remember when I first came to Jesus, there was this hunger that God placed inside me for his word. And for a lot of the time, I didn't understand a lot of what was happening, you know, especially if you were like in the Old Testament and stuff like that, that was a little rough. So I did what all like new believers did and just skip to the New Testament because that's the stuff that I could understand a little bit more. When I got into Paul and stuff, it was a lot harder because he talked in a language that I wasn't really familiar with, but like the Gospels and Acts were like where I lived my life because here is where I could understand what's taking place. And I remember as an early believer, there was this a little bit of a gap for me between what I was experiencing when I went to church and what I was reading in the scriptures. There was this gap that, as I'm reading through the Acts of the Apostles, some crazy stuff happens. Like, if you haven't read Acts, I encourage you to do so, but it's pretty crazy, some of the stuff that happens. Like, the book opens up on Pentecost, uh, the spirit falls, people are speaking in tongues that they don't know the language of, and everyone there is able to understand what everyone else is saying, and there's about 5,000 people who get saved. That's how the book opens, right? Not to mention there's scenes where there's Paul, and he's preaching, and he's been preaching for so long that a guy is sitting in the window seal, and he passes out because Paul's gone long-winded like pastors like to do, falls out a couple of stories, hits the ground, and dies, right? In the middle of a church service, Paul goes out there, lays on his body, and he rises from the dead. That's weird. Can we be honest about that for a second? That's kind of crazy. There's stories that Paul had a handkerchief, and the handkerchief kind of made its way around, left it somewhere, and when people would touch it, they would get healed. That's weird, you know? I think about uh, Philip as he's, uh, he, he meets this Ethiopian who's reading Isaiah and he tells him what he's reading and what it means. This guy receives the Lord Jesus. He baptizes him. And the moment he's been done baptizing, Philip is gone, vanished, different city, weird, okay? And then I come to church services and we sing the songs and we clap our hands and the pastor talks and we give a little bit of money and then we just go home. And for me, it was just like, when do we get to do the stuff, you know? When do we get to just, like, see what's hap kind of happening here? And so for a long time, I just kind of sat with them. And then one moment, I sit down with somebody who was a leader in the church that I was attending. And I just asked him, like, why don't we see any of this stuff anymore? Like, did God just decide, like, nah, we're not doing that anymore? Or is it a PR reason? Like, what's the reason that we don't do this stuff anymore? And I never forget what the leader told me. He said, 
We believe that God can do those things, but we don't do them because they're weird. And I remember thinking, that's strange that we would be having to like protect God from bad PR or something, right? And, and, and say that we believe those things happened at one point, but we don't believe they still happen. And for me, it became this just incongruence that things just weren't lined up. And so I could have just said, well, that is the way that it is, and move on. But that's not me, you know? And so I was like, there has to be somebody who this is still happening to. This is still going on. They believe this book. They believe the words in it. And so it sent me on a little bit of a journey. I ended up going a little bit north to Aurora, Colorado, to a Calvary Chapel up there where they were having what was called believers meetings. Or if you've been in the church for a long time, it's been called afterglows. Essentially, there's just these meetings where people come and they seek the Lord and they ask God to do things like that, and he does. And I show up uh, to this meeting, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. I was skeptical because I had seen the YouTube videos. You know, you've seen the, the guy who just moves his arms and everyone falls down because of crazy stuff like that. People shaking and barking. And I was like, if it gets this weird, I'm out. You know, I'm just like, I'm out the back door. You ain't going to sleep. I'm just going to slip out. And I never showed up, you know. And so I'm a little bit nervous about what we're going to experience and stuff. And, you know, the meeting starts and they read through 1 Corinthians 14, kind of lay out the parameters. Like, all that stuff is weird. We're not going to do any of that here. We're just going to ask the Lord and see how God moves. And so I'm sitting there skeptical. Even I think I had the arms crossed and was just kind of like looking around or whatever, you know. And so at the time, then the person who's leading them, conducting the meeting kind of says, does anyone believe they have like a word from the Lord? And I'm like, this is where it's going to get weird, you know. I'm like, here's where I go to, I tap out and I quit. And so I'm sitting there. There's a couple sitting in front of me and then somebody goes up to the stage. And they feel like, I feel like God has put a word in my heart. And I'm like, here it is, right. I'm nervous as ever. And they said, there's a couple in here who has been contemplating missions to China. And you have asked the Lord, and the Lord has told you yes. And you're here seeking another answer. And the, Lord, the word for the Lord for you is yes, go, and no longer ask. And I'm like, that was oddly specific. I'm all, and I was like waiting to see, like, it's just going to go dead silent. And everyone's like, that's not for anybody. Like, that person was way too bold. And the couple in front of me begins to weep. And just cry, and they go up, and they had said that God had been speaking to them about going to missions on China, but they kept being like, is it really you? Do you really want us to go? Confirm it again, confirm it again. And this wasn't even their church that they attended. They showed up to this church just to hope that God would confirm it again, and God did. And so the leader prayed over them, and they went off to China, you know? And I remember sitting there thinking, this is crazy. First, I'm like, they're pulling something over my head. They're in cahoots or something. You know? But no, it was sincerity, and I just was blown away. So I come back from Colorado, and I'm thinking, man, this is the way God wants it. And I'm reading the scriptures, and it's all over the place. And when you're lower on, like, the pastoral chart of things, they send you to do the work that nobody really likes to do, the hard stuff, you know? And a couple weeks later, I had this hospital visit, there was a young girl, she was 17 years old, had chronic illness all her life, and it had brought her to several stints in the hospital. And they asked me to go pray with the family because they just got news from the doctors and it wasn't good news. So you go to the hospital and I show up to the room, and as I'm showing up to the room, the doctor had just finished leaving and telling the family that if her condition didn't change within the next 24 to 48 hours, to start making arrangements for her funeral. And so I walk into that room, you know, and I remember thinking, like, all right, God, like, you need to show up because, you know, you say that you do, you promise that you will, you need to show up. So I show up and I pray for this family and I pray for healing over this girl. I'm sweating, I'm nervous because I'm like, what if this backfires? What if it all goes wrong? And so I just pray, God, would you heal her? Would you do it only you could do? I don't remember exactly all the way, but I just pray those things. A couple days later, I get a phone call from the mom and she says the daughter has miraculously turned around and is making her way towards healing. Three weeks after that, she walks through the doors of our church building to come and worship at service. There was nothing, I, didn't, I was scared as ever. There was nothing special about me, but this is what God was doing and I was just reminded of these things again as we come to this topic of power and I was just reminded this is what he loves to do. 
This is what he does in the scriptures. It's all over the place. There's this longing that he puts inside of us to know him, to see him move in a way that's beautiful and powerful. And what we are longing to see is a church empowered by God. Now, as we were coming up to this series, I thought for this, this series would be, for, for me, just kind of like a, a, like a review, a reiteration of the things that we believe. And Friday night, as I'm kind of finalizing some things on the message, God just meets me. And he just wrecks my world. And he just says, Andrew, you guys have been talking about these things, but you're not doing them. He says, all those years ago when I gave you that hunger to want to see me move, he's like, you've let that fire dwindle down. And you've made it about a bunch of other things. And those things are good and we should do those things. But we've forgotten, we've overlooked power. And God met me with his word in Galatians 3. Paul says this, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? I think about how God birthed this church in the spirit as a work of the spirit. But as we get busy doing the ministry, we think it's up to us. We begin to strive in what the biblical authors call the flesh, our own abilities, our own talents, our own wishes. And the Lord just met me and said, are you going to continue to just do things in the flesh or are you going to look to me for my power? And I really believe that the stirring really started to begin happening last week in our presence, I just felt this deep discontentment with me and within the church of just about like, just coming up here and just going through the motions. You know, just playing the church game. You just come, you sing the songs, clap your hands, you go home, you call it a day, but not actually encountering Jesus. And I began to feel the Lord really stir that in me. And this phrase came to mind that wherever the king is, the kingdom follows. Wherever the king is, the kingdom follows. Don't believe me? Read the scriptures. Wherever Jesus was, wherever his spirit was, came fruit of the kingdom. Came works of the kingdom. Paul even tells the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Not here on the screen, but even in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells the Thessalonians, you want to know how we know God is moving in your midst? That when we came to you, we did not come simply but with words, but with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. The evidence that God is in a place is his power precedes him. His power follows after him, and his power remains there. There's this scene in the life of Napoleon Bonaparte, which I don't do a lot of research on this guy, but this is a cool scene in his life. He is in the process of basically taking over the known world at the time. And him and his generals are overlooking a map together. And there at the map, is you kind of, Napoleon's kind of dragging his finger around, he points to China. And he says, this right here, gentlemen, is a sleeping giant. He says, we must not wake this sleeping giant, for if we do, the world will never be the same. And 150 years later, how true were the words of Napoleon Bonaparte? China has erupted on the global scale, and all metrics are showing that they will soon pass the United States as the global power in the world. He saw this from so long away. When I think about the church, I feel the same exact way. That there lies the sleeping giant. And if only she would awake, it would have the power to change the whole world. But we sleep in our contentment, in our comfort, in our little luxuries, in our way of doing church, we sleep. And we forfeit the world to the powers that be and forfeit the things that God wants to do through us and settle for something so far less. There's this beautiful idea that I heard about that um, when we see an apple, right, all of us, some of us see a snack, some of us see a treat, some of us see the things. He says, but somebody who understands the potential of an apple does not see just the apple, they see the orchard that lies within. 
Because in that apple lies seeds that could produce more trees, that could produce more apples, that could produce more apples, that could produce more trees, and on and on and on it goes. An orchard lies within the apple. The only thing that dictates it is whose hand it's held in. It's either a snack or a massive orchard. And I think this is the potential that lies within our church. The only question is whose hands are we in? Are we in His? Are we being led by the power of the Spirit? Are we just going to continue to do church services, business as usual? If the church, our church included, would awaken to the reality of the power that lies within her, no question would remain as to God's great love for his people. I believe our entire city would be flipped upside down if just the people in this room would commit to walking in and living in the power of God. I want to do for us briefly a theology of the power of God's Spirit so you know I'm not just shooting from the hip here. Brings us to our teaching text. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. This is what Paul prays for the church in Ephesus and I believe a prayer for us as well. Paul prays this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparable great, what, power for us who believe. He exert, uh, uh, the, the same power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I know what some of you were thinking. Our pastor's lost his mind. He's gone crazy. It's happened, right? I was liking this church. Things were good. And then here comes the ooky spooky weirdness, right? Here it comes. Like, I knew there was going to be something I'd find, and here it is. But brothers and sisters, this is a central idea to the scriptures. The power of God can often make us feel uncomfortable. It may, I'm not going to lie. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But it's something that cannot be ignored in the scriptures. Just go to them. Just read the scriptures and tell me you can't wrestle with these same things as well. So we have to have a conversation around this idea of God's empowering presence. Now, I want to be clear. God's power is not like the force. Though I know we have a lot of Star Wars fans in the room, right? It's not like the force that you like channel this energy in and you start to levitate stuff with your mind. That's not the power of God, right? It's also not like a spell, like if you just say the right words, you know, like some Harry Potter stuff, you know, and like, and then stuff starts, starts to happen, right? It's not that way either. The power of God is wrapped up and embodied in a person, and the person is the Holy Spirit, he is the third person of the Trinity. And this empowering presence, this Holy Spirit, is the biblical, the biblical author's way of talking about God's empowering presence. When we open the scene in Genesis, it is God's ruach, God, and that's Hebrew, God's breath, God's spirit that is hovering over the waters and that brings order out of chaos. When God creates Adam, it is God's ruach, God's spirit that gets breathed into his nostrils and he becomes a human being. It's God's animating life presence. Later on in the story, we see that it is God's ruach, God's spirit that rests on Joseph that allows him to interpret the dreams. Even if we jump a little bit later on, God's ruach rests on David to be able to lead Israel. And even when David sins with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, he prays, do not take your Holy Spirit, your ruach, from me. God's Spirit rested on the prophets as they spoke on God's behalf. As they were speaking God's word, God's ruach empowered their speech. But all in the Old Testament, God's ruach came at just particular times in particular places, in particular moments, and rested on particular people. But there's been this longing for this unleashing of God's spirit, which we talked about last week in presence, that as the temple veil was torn, what was released? God's ruach, his spirit, now inhabiting the lives of his people. And so, 
this is the, the scene that we step into, and then Jesus shows up on the scene. At Jesus' baptism, as, as the Spirit, God's Ruach, descends on Jesus like a dove and empowers him. And from that moment on, Jesus does what? The work of the ministry. And that everywhere Jesus goes, the lame people walk, deaf people can hear, people are healed, miraculous things take place, Jesus raises people from the dead. It is Jesus is the embodiment of somebody filled with God's ruach, God's spirit. It's his empowering presence that now rests upon Jesus. And so Jesus is then what? Crucified and murdered. And three days later, as Paul says here, it was God's spirit, his ruach, that raised Jesus from the dead. It was that the power he exerted to raise Jesus from the dead. And as Jesus is risen, he then gives this power to his disciples. Luke 24, 49, Jesus says this. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay into the city, Jerusalem, until you have been, watch this, clothed with power from on high. Then Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. A couple days later is Acts 2, where they're all waiting, and the spirit of Pentecost falls, and God's people receive his ruach, his spirit. Meaning what? You, every single person in this room who has received Jesus, has God's spirit, his empowering presence, his ruach living inside of you. This empowering presence rests upon you. Now I know that when we look at the cultural landscape of our world, we can feel powerless. When things just feel out of our control and insurmountable, you watch the news and it feels like, how could just an individual do anything that's going to stop this train, that's going to stop this wave of division, of hostility, of anger, of hatred, of murder, of rape, you know, all these different things. How does anyone stand in the way of those things? And we feel that way because we know our human fragility. But God does not call us to a world that he will not empower us to go into. He calls us to the world and says, I will give you the power to go. You will be clothed with power from on high. This is why Paul says in Ephesians, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this idea of be filled with the Spirit here isn't a one-time event where you're just like, boom, I've been filled with the Spirit for my whole life. Although you do have the Spirit resting on you, but this idea that Paul's trying to get here is continually be filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. How, he says? By speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, continually being filled with the Spirit and begins to, de to describe a person's life who is abiding in Jesus, who is walking with the Spirit, who is remaining with Him. So as a follower of Jesus, you have been given God's Spirit, but here is where it really lies on us. At to what point do we allow the Spirit to influence us? You can have God's spirit, but be that sleeping giant who never moves, who never does anything, who just sits casually on the sidelines of life. Or you could be somebody who says, Lord, have your way in me, and the spirit moves in your life powerfully, and your life becomes his. How much influence or how little influence is up to essentially you and what you allow God to do in your life. So this is the, the, the biblical paradigm, again, is not that we just fill with the Spirit once, but we keep on being filled with His presence and His power and continue to walk in that empowerment. Now, I know that when we talk about this stuff, it can feel weird. It can feel a little bit like we're all going to drink the Kool-Aid, you know, it's getting a little strange. I understand that it sounds spooky or weird. And I know that a lot of you have your mind cluttered with weird videos, with like music in the background and all kinds of stuff, you know, and just strange things you've seen on TV. You've turned on the televangelist or whatever, and the same guy, he's selling these anointed handkerchiefs for 10 easy payments of 10.99, and you can have a healing from the Lord, you know, that kind of a thing, you know. And you're, these things are coming to your mind, and you're like, dude, don't want any part of that. And I think Jesus would agree with you. And I think the, the apostles would agree with you. And I surely agree with you. But here's something that you need to know. 
The way that the Spirit of God moves is honestly more natural than you'd ever imagine. The supernatural ends up being very natural. The way that God typically moves is not like with thunder and lightning in the cloud and, and crazy stuff happens, but it's usually just an impression on your heart, a thought in your mind, a prayer you say for somebody, a song. These very simple, normal ways of doing things is the way that God typically moves. The Spirit most often moves in incredibly natural ways. For some of you, you may be thinking, this is only for, like, the pro-Christians. Like, the ones, you know what I mean, who, like, they, like, read the Bible and the KJV just because, you know. They're up at 4 a.m. interceding for the city while, like, you've opened your little crusty eye to use the restroom and then go right back to bed, you know. It's like you're thinking of those people, like, the Mother Teresas of the world, or the Apostle Paul, and, like, for everybody else, like, we just support them. We cheer them on. You go get them, you know. But it's like, that's not really for us. But that's not the biblical paradigm. We are all given this spirit. I love what um, the leader of, of the, the vineyard movement said. He said that everyone gets to play when it comes to the power. Everyone gets to play a part in what God is doing. And I think of the words that Paul says to the church in Corinth, to church in, Corinth in 2 Corinthians 12. He says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then what? Then I am strong. God chooses human beings to work through. Why? Ask him. But he does. You know, broken, jacked up, all the issues, all the ways, like, for a PR standpoint, humans have jacked things up for God pretty far, you know? Don't believe me? Watch the news. See the people in the street corners with the, the sandwich signs that hang over them and the megaphone, you know? It's like, if God has a PR, he needs to fire that guy and get a new PR person, right? Because it's not going good because humans continually mess up. And I know it's easy to point the finger at everybody, but I jack it up sometimes, you know? I'm like, Lord, if you got to choose everybody, like out of everybody, it's like I'm probably not the person you want to choose to be behind the pulpit and talk about things because I have stuff that I'm broken into. But God uses human beings. It's just his heart. It's what he wanted to do from the beginning, to give us authority, rule, and dominion over his earth alongside with him. He wants to partner with us because he loves us. So if you're feeling like, ah, I don't know, dude, that doesn't, he wants to partner with you. And he's, and, he's, and he's called you to this life of being empowered. So let's talk about what we're empowered to do. The first thing we're empowered to do is we're empowered to bear fruit. Jesus says this in John 15. This is to my Father's glory that what? You bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And the paradigm of Jesus you know that you're his disciple when you bear fruit. Now, this idea of bearing fruit means that your life looks like a life that has been changed by God. Your life is, 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 is resemblance of somebody whose life has been touched by the power of God. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we bear fruit. Now, bearing fruit isn't up to us, but bearing fruit comes through abiding trusting, surrendering, and obeying, right? We don't bear fruit by trying really hard. I'm just going to be nice today, you know? How did that work out for you? You know, you're like, you wake up in the morning, you did your self-talk in the mirror, you are a nice person. You're going to be nice to everybody that you see. People say, look at that guy, he's so nice. Nice, that's going to be you, right? Then you get in the car, and you're driving, you're listening to nice music, you know? It's easy like Sunday morning. You're like, I'm going to be nice today. And then suddenly, someone cuts you off. And very not nice things come out of your mouth, you know? You get to work, and you, and you were saving your lunch 
all day long, super excited. But Linda from accounting takes it upon herself to eat your sandwich, you know? And you know it was her because she always did. And you know, suddenly, you're not nice anymore, right? But you tried really hard. You, you prayed and you shook really good and you did the self-talk and you to, listened to the music and still you weren't able to be nice. Because bearing fruit is not something we conjure up in ourselves. It is a natural work that God does by way of his spirit. And we do it first and foremost through abiding. Jesus' paradigm in John 15 is that we are abiding in him. Like a branch abides to the vine, we abide in Jesus. We live, we remain in him. We live with him. We walk with him. And from being with him, this fruit naturally comes out of our lives. It is the natural byproduct. You ever walked by a tree and see it shaking to get an apple out of itself? No, it just abides in itself, right? It abides in its water source and it naturally produces fruit. This is what happens when you abide in Jesus. The second thing is through trusting. Where we get uh, often twisted is we're like, well, I'll just do it. I'll take control. I'll handle it. And how does that pay off? Usually becomes much more of a mess than we had anticipated. Instead of saying, I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in him. Then it's surrendering. It's these areas of conflict or, 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 or uncertainty that you surrender that to God and say, I, I, I'm trusting in you and I'm actually going to relinquish these things behind with you and walk forward with you. And lastly, it is obeying. Do whatever he says. You want to you grow in your ability to abide in Jesus? Do whatever he says. Whatever he puts on your heart, whatever he brings into your heart, whatever, do whatever he says. But not only are we just empowered to bear fruit, we are also empowered to learn. Notice what Jesus says of this Holy Spirit in John 14. He says, all this I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has sent in my name, he'll do what? Will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I had to say, I've had to say to you. So here's what's crazy what the Spirit of God does. He instructs us, he teaches us through conviction and through promptings. You know it. You feel it rising in you, the anger. You really want to gossip. You really want to just let people know about this dirty little secret. You, fa- you feel it in your heart. You hear in the back of your mind, don't do it. But you're like, I'm doing it. You know? And then you see, it comes out of your mouth. And as it comes out of your mouth, you're trying to bring it back. You know, but you can't. It's out there in the world. And then you leave that conversation. You're like, oh, I did it again. You know? I said I wasn't going to do it, and I did it. You know? That, 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 that we have, think we have all this self-control, but we, we do not. And we think oh man, I shouldn't have done that. And that feeling in your gut of, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. It's the spirit teaching you, don't do that. When you were a kid, the way you learned parameters was your parents instructing you, teaching you, do not go near the electrical outlet, right? Do not go near the oven or the stove, you know? Those different things, they instructed you on how to live and how to walk. And now as an adult, you're never tempted like, I wonder what happened if I stick my finger in there. What do you think? You know, it's like you're never tempted of those things because you've been instructed. You've been taught. And this is what the Spirit does for us. He instructs us. He brings to words, the, the, he brings things to mind, the things that Jesus said. Jesus, the, as you spend time here, the, the Spirit reminds you of the words that Jesus says and he teaches and instructs you through conviction and he corrects and he leads. And sometimes it's promptings like, I feel like I should talk to that person. I feel like they need encouragement. Man, my coworker looks down today. I bet you what would pick them up would be those different promptings of the Spirit teaching you how to abide and walk with Jesus. And Paul draws on all this metaphor in Galatians 5 where he says this, Paul to the church in Galatia, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want, but you are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like, I warn you as I did before, for those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have done what? They've crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul concludes by saying, since we live by the Spirit, we've been given life by the Spirit, what are we to do? Keep in step with the Spirit. Paul's clear. Each of these people in Galatia have been given the Spirit of God. The question only remains, are they going to walk with the Spirit? Are they going to continue to allow the flesh to take over? Or will they crucify their flesh, kill their flesh, and walk in the Spirit instead? And so what the Spirit does is these things naturally flow out of a life, out of somebody who's surrendered to the Spirit, who is being led by the Spirit, who is, who is walking in accordance to the things that the Spirit speaks because we're being led by Him. But the contrary is somebody who's being led by their flesh. And, the, and he encapsulates this perfectly by saying that you do whatever it is you want. How many times have you done something that you wanted to do knowing that it was wrong, knowing that it was awful? And what fruit did that produce in your life? Was it love, joy, peace, forbearance? Probably not. Actually, not probably. It was not. And so as followers of Jesus, we're called to be led and empowered by God's Spirit to bear fruit, to lo- live lives that look more like Jesus. The second thing the Spirit empowers us to do is it empowers us to serve. Romans 12 says this, For just as each one of us has a body and has many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We all have different what? Gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul is making an analogy here. You have a physical body. Your arms, your legs, your eyes, your toes, all head, shoulders, knees, and toes. You have all these things, right? Now, not all of them do the same function. Try imagine drinking a cup of coffee with your feet, you know? That's not going to go so well. Or try seeing with your ears, you know? It's not going to go so hot for you. Because each of these bodies has a different function. They each have a gift. And Paul is drawing on this, uh, this image to say, this is how the body of Christ works. Each of us have a gift. Each of us says something that uniquely God has given us to serve the body with, to serve one another with. So when he says, like, if God has given you this gift of encouragement, he's saying, then encourage people, right? You have that gift, use it. If God has given you the gift of hospitality, you love having people in your home and cooking food, then use that gift to bless the body, if it is to lead, then to lead diligently, to bless. All of it is for God's people. Each of us has been given these gifts. And you know what Paul says of these gifts? And he says we are to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. That we should be excited and want to use these gifts that God has given us. And it's all for not ourselves, but it's for the building of the body of Christ. Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians that the purpose of the gifts is clearly love. Self-giving, self-sacrificial, agape love. The point of the gifts that God gives to his people is for love, to sacrificially give to others. So in a community like this, each of you has a different gifting. Some of you, multiple giftings. And God wants to use those to bless the other people here in this room. Now notice it doesn't say, and your pastor has the gifts and he does all these, the worship leader, but it is the body. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4 that, the, that the, the leaders of the church, you know what their whole job is? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To help the body be the body. That's what my job, that's what my gifting is, is to help you all live into your calling and bless one another. This is the paradigm that God has set up for the church and for his power in the church that each of us have been given these gifts and these gifts to use to bless one another. And that's evidence of God's power. 
If you want more on specifics about tongues and prophecy and all that stuff, a couple years ago, we labored through all of the manifestations of the Spirit. It's all on our website in a series called Things the Spirit Does. So if you want about like eight hours of me talking about those things, there you go. Moving on. The last thing is we are empowered to bring the kingdom. Alan Scott says this, kingdom power was given to bring wholeness to the whole of humanity. The reason God's, when, when God's spirit comes, when his power comes, it's to bless the world. It's to change the world. It's to accomplish God's will in the world. I want to jump to this story briefly in Acts 3. It says this, one day, Peter and John, this is right after Pentecost, were going to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When Peter and John were about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him their attention, his attention. Expecting to get something from them, then Peter said this, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do give to you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Okay, let's pause that and get out of Bible study for a moment. That's crazy. Can you imagine somebody in a wheelchair is waiting outside of like a chipotle that you're going into and they're begging for money, right? And the person that you're with, you guys are walking in together, you're gonna go get a bowl or whatever, and they're asking for money, right? Your friend's strapped, they're broke, you're gonna pay for them anyways. But your friend goes and says, hey bro, I don't got any cash, but let me give this to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You would be like, I do not know this man. I do not know this man. Like, what are you doing speaking these crazy things? But this is what Peter and John do, filled with the power of the Spirit. Now here's the real test, is the proof in the pudding. Watch what happens next. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. So this man who never walked, but now walks because of the apostles praying for him and asking by the authority of Jesus that he would get up and walk. The church, God has commissioned the church to continue the ministry of Jesus. And when you read in the ministry of Jesus, what is he doing? Stuff like this. Now I get it. You're like, the, the, the response then isn't to hear to go find somebody who's in a wheelchair and pray this prayer, you know? But the response here is that we would be led by the Spirit. The reason Peter and John did this is because the Spirit prompted them to. Said, this is what I want you to do. Go and do it. Full of fear, I'm sure. Scared, terrified, probably. But they listened to the Spirit. So the response is then now to go and try to do miraculous, but it's to simply obey the Spirit of Christ. Whatever he says, do it. And see what happens next. Now, there are some hindrances I want to talk about as we kind of wind this thing down. I'm going a little long today, guys. I'm sorry. But I, I want to talk about a couple of things that hinder us from being able to see the power of God. The first thing that we are often missing, honestly, candidly, is holiness. Check out what uh, Paul says in Ephesians. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I believe the reason we don't see the things that we read in the scriptures anymore is, frankly, because we've grieved the Holy Spirit. Because God has placed his power inside of you, and you grieve it by continuing in sin, by continuing in rebellion, by allowing bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and all the rest of it to live inside you as well. Jesus is very clear. He says, no one can serve two masters. And I believe that oftentimes it's because we lack holiness. We lack this set-apartness from God. It doesn't just mean moral purity. It means set apart for him. Not that you're perfect, but that you repent, that you listen to the Spirit, and that you obey the things that he says. The next hindrance, I think, honestly, in candidly, is intimacy. Jesus says this in John 15, Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you, what? Remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do everything you want to do. No, nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown to the fire and burned. You all know if you've had trees that have had dead branches that, you know, fall, you, pine needles, whatever, you just scoop them all up and where do they go? Trash or burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, check this out, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is clear. If we remain in him, if we abide in him, then we will produce fruit. The reason I believe that we don't see these things happening in the church today is because we're not abiding in Jesus. We're not longing for the presence of God. We're not longing to remain in him. We're longing just to stay comfortable. Man, just to have a good life with as little to no interruptions as possible. You know, do a couple good things. Have some kiddos, you know, send them to college. Do the whole nine yard, but not live any sort of lives of consequence and not to abide with him. The next thing I think we're missing is authority. Jesus says this in John 14. Very truly I tell you, which is Jesus' way of saying this is a matter of fact, or 100%, 100%, or faux show, right? I'm going to tell you this for 100% fact. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. What has Jesus been doing? Healing the sick, casting out demons, etc., etc. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, you may ask anything from in my name and I will do it. Those are kind of crazy words, if we could be honest, right? The first thing I want to address is this. He says, you'll do even greater things than me. Now, Bible scholars have all kinds of conversations around like, well, Jesus was only in one place, so if you got like a bunch more people, they will do greater things than him because there's just a lot more of them, right? Quantity, there'll just be more things happening. That's probably for sure the case. Other people think quality, the nature of the things that we're doing will be greater than, you know, the things that Jesus did in terms of the miracles and stuff that he did. Here's what Jesus did not mean. It would be lesser, that's, so we know for certain, right, what he didn't mean is we would do lesser things than him. He says, you're going to do greater things than me. And then Jesus goes on to even say that anything you ask in my name, I'll do it. Now, I want to be really clear. This does not mean we say in Jesus' name at the end of anything, and boom, magic sprinkled fairy dust goes on top, and it's going to happen. To pray in Jesus' name means praying in accordance with his will, praying in accordance with his nature, praying in accordance with who he is. But think about what he's saying there. That if what we're praying and if what we're asking for is in line with his will and who he is, he'll do it. I.e., praying for a sick girl in the hospital. It was in accordance with his will that she be healed that day, so he healed her. There was nothing special or spooky or magic or anything about that. I didn't have anything awesome for lunch and it translated. There was nothing like that. Jesus chose to do those things. Because we prayed in accordance with his nature, with his will. The last thing I think that we're missing, honestly and candidly, is humility. Jesus says this in John 3, 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What Jesus is speaking to here is the unpredictable, spontaneous nature of the Spirit. What we like is order. Things to make sense. Things to fit in the boxes that we've created and that we love and we love to live in those things. How do I know? Because I love the same exact things. When we venture outside of that, it makes us uncomfortable. But this is the nature of what the Spirit does and the Spirit does what he wants to do. Oftentimes I believe we don't see the power of God moving in our midst is because he's not welcome here. Uh, Lord, we start at 10. You're showing up a little bit late. You're not welcome in the building. We're sorry, you know. Well, Lord, we only do 27 minutes of worship. We got to get moving. We can't stay here and continue to praise you. We have to talk about your word, Lord, you know. Or it's, you know, we had a really, we have to go to lunch now. He's been talking for way too long. Can you believe this kid? He's gone 10 minutes over. You know, it's like we want to just move on to the next thing instead of just being and doing what the Spirit wants to do. And this is a commitment that the leadership has made here, and honestly, a commitment that we failed to live up to at times. It's just being sensitive to the Spirit of God and saying, Lord, we'll put it all away. What do you want to do today? What do you want to speak today? How do you want to meet your people? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. You're like, finally, he's closing. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up.
One of the core things here at our church for the paradigms for us becoming more like Jesus is this, to do what Jesus did. And I love what John Wimber, the leader of the Vineyard Movement says. He says, just doing the stuff. And I love that, just doing the Jesus stuff, doing the Spirit stuff. And so we have a decision before us as a church and as individuals. Who are we going to be? Now, it's not for one person to make that call. It's for us collectively as a community to commit to being a church that is empowered by the Spirit. We can go on doing what we've been doing, playing the church game, clapping our hands, singing the song, listening to the message, go home, do whatever. Or we can be a people empowered by God's Spirit to use the gifts that He's given us to bless the people in this room and to change our city. The only question is, Will we do it? Now the church falls in our court now. God sent his spirit. He's already living inside of you and he's already speaking. The only question is, will we obey? So I don't want to talk about it anymore. I talk too long. My throat's already dry. I'm done, right? What I want us to do is I want us to do the stuff. I want us to do the things that Jesus did. And so right now, there are people who are in this room who need prayer for something, a relationship, an ailment, a sickness, a desire for healing, a circumstance, a situation to change. People have come into this room here now looking to hear from God, and God is speaking a word to you to share with that person. If it is encouragement, then encouragement, right? All those different things. And so I want us to do those things now. So as we worship, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, simply say, is there anything that you want to do this morning through me, Lord? And then listen. And whatever he says to you, do it. Now I know what you're thinking. Palms are sweaty. I'm getting nervous. Dude, you're stressing me out. I don't want you to know. I understand those things. But here, look. Let's say you get it wrong. Let's say you had a taco from the taco truck before you got into service. You know you shouldn't have done it. It shouldn't have been your breakfast. It's kind of sitting funny with you right now. You're like, is this you talking to the taco? You go and you make a complete fool of yourself. The word wasn't for them. They didn't need prayer for that, whatever. At absolute worst, you made a fool of yourself, right? Nobody died. Nothing crazy happened. You just made a fool of yourself. Have you done that before? Have you made a fool of yourself ever before for a whole lot less, you know? For a whole lot less, we've made fools of ourselves. But think of Paul, that I would much rather be a fool for Christ's sake. And I would much rather take risks and be wrong that never see God move in my life. And I'm telling you, the Spirit is doing something right now. He's speaking a word right now. But don't put no pressure on yourself. If you don't hear anything, you don't feel the Spirit's prompting, then it wasn't for you. Then praise the Lord and we worship. But if He does speak something to you, I want to ask you, step out in faith and do it. And if you want prayer for something, if there's something that you want healing for, I'm going to be staying up here and I'm going to be happily praying for people. If you just want to pray for a fresh outpouring of God's spirit in your life, I will happily pray for you. If you need anything at all, I'll be up here to pray and walk alongside with you. But if God shares something with you, if he gives something to you, don't hang on to it. It's a gift that's been given to you to give freely to the person who needs it. So give. Let's ask Jesus now. Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Please stand with me as we worship. God, we don't want to just be talking about the stuff. We want to be doing the stuff. To see all the new content coming from Zion City, follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. And to partner with us financially, visit our website at zioncitychurch.net.